Amen, amen. Our scripture for today comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Hear these words. Love is patient, love is kind. It isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant, it isn't rude, it does not seek its own. It isn't irritable, it doesn't keep a record of complaints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1905, Anna Jarvis's mother passed away, and she was sad. She was, she was very sad. She had seen a lot of mothers die in her time. Anna Jarvis had helped organize a set of uh, mothers' clubs around the country after the Civil War, and she wanted to do something about it. In 1905, there weren't any Hallmark cards for Mother's Day. There weren't any phone calls or, um, or flowers or last-minute runs to HEB to see what was left that you can bring home. There was, there was none of that. And she wanted to do something about it. She started writing letters. She started petitioning Congress. But at that time, in 1905, women couldn't vote. So these congressmen, and they were all men, congressmen and senators, and the president was like, who is this? Why does it matter us? They can't vote. They're not one of our constituents. But she did not give up. Anna Jarvis was a member of St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. And she, in three years, was able to get a bill to Congress. And they voted on it in 1908 to start the first Mother's Day. And it failed. It failed miserably. It did not pass at all. But she did not give up. And so then she traveled to every state in the Union. And in 1912, it passed. And that was the first Mother's Day in 1912. Now, Anna Jarvis didn't start this holiday, didn't try to get it to going for herself as a mother. Again, she's, she started these mother's clubs after the Civil War because she had seen all these mothers caring for their wounded sons, caring for sons who could not take over the family farm anymore because they had lost a leg in the war. All these mothers grieving their sons and children lost in that, in that devastation of the Civil War. Anna Jarvis started advocating for Mother's Day after her mom passed away. It wasn't because she wanted to honor herself, but she wanted to, she realized that everyone has a mom. Everyone has a mom, and that is worthy of remembrance. My brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series on the works of love, on responding to, to the miracle of Christ's resurrection with concrete actions. And we've been going through this passage from 1 Corinthians 13 that's so famous. Love is patient, love is kind. And we get to this, the heart of it. Love does not seek its own. That's what we're looking at to today. God, throughout the scriptures, shows us again and again that, that love loves another person for their distinctiveness and not because they are the same. In the TV show Seinfeld, the comedian Jerry was um, about to get hit by a car in one episode, and then he's rescued by, by a lady, and she, he gets up, and, and she immediately starts making fun of him. And, and then um, they go out, and he's like, this is, this is great. And then they go out to, to eat, and he goes to their fa the famous diner on the corner, and he says, I'd like the usual. And then she, sa she says, I would like a bowl of Cheerios with not too much milk. And the waitress says, okay, two bowls of Cheerios with not much milk. And, and they go, and he's like, this is great. I found what I was always looking for in another woman, me. 
But if you've seen that episode, um, which I'm sure Steve and Sue have, um, it doesn't end that well. At the end of it, he's like, I've made a terrible mistake. He already proposed to her after two weeks. And then he gets like, the problem is, um, at the end of the day, I can't be with someone just like me. I hate myself. But, but there's, there's a, little, a little truth to that, that we, can't, we don't want to be with someone who is just like us, because when we see people similar to us, we don't see the, the good things, we see the flaws in one of those, those aspects. We don't love another person because they're exactly like us. If, we, if, we, if, someone, if you love someone and you want to turn them into someone like you, that's not love. That's the domineering person. The domineering or controlling person tries to change another person and turn them into just like them, to make them just like them, to take away anything distinctive. Another, another way to, to distort people in our lives is being a small-minded person. A small-minded person is always trying to tear down the other people to make themselves feel better. But that's not what the loving person does. The loving person encourages the other to be themselves. Let me say that again. The loving person encourages the other to be themselves. Some people have had hard experiences with their mothers or with their parents, and that is, that is true, and we should admit that, but there is, there is an ideal that points to the possibility of an intimate and beautiful relationship between a mother and a child. In the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, God is often described as a mother, in Isaiah 66, 13, the passage that, that Jim alluded to, it says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, Jerusalem. And earlier in Deuteronomy 32, it says, like an eagle protecting its nest, hovering over its young, God spread out God's wings and will take care of you. And so the point here is not that we all need mothers to keep us safe. In fact, it points against this idea of salvation as just this momentary thing that we move on from. If you heard the sermon last week, I talked about how sometimes the church has distorted um, grace in a way, focusing so much on the moment, on the moment of justifi justification and ignoring God's presence continually in our lives. The salvation that looks a lot more like the relationship with a mother and a child. We think about what a mother wants for their child, and what a mother wants for their child is for them to be themselves, not to be little versions of them not to turn them into mini-me's around, but for them to be themselves. And that's what God wants from you. God wants you to be yourself, who you were created to be. We see this in the famous passage from Micah, Micah chapter 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you to love justice, to seek mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That is being ourselves. Loving justice and seeking mercy is being ourselves. God wants you to be the most you can be. God wants you to be the most filled with love that you can be. Even when we don't know who we are, or we think we're someone we are not. God doesn't want you to be someone else. God doesn't want you to be anybody else but yourself. Sometimes, though, we may not feel good enough. We may not feel that the me that we find is worth it, is worthwhile to anybody else. We may think that our mistakes define us more than our virtues. We may think about when God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse, and he goes out. He's looking for a new king because Samuel had already picked Saul and realized, well, that's a big mistake and got to do something about it. 
So he goes to the farm of this man, Jesse. God sends him there. And they have all of Jesse's sons are out standing like the inspe- up for inspection. It like, seems like a really awkward moment. Um, and the, the Bible, like the children's Bibles, they're always like standing there tall. And it's like, gosh, I wonder what the small talk was between Samuel and the boys. But they're standing there. And the first, the first son is very tall and handsome. It looks like he could plow a field by himself. And Samuel goes up and thinks, surely this guy is going to be the king. And God says, no. It's like, okay, God goes to the next one and goes to the next and no, 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 and then runs out. Looks like he runs out of sons. And then Samuel asks Jesse, do you have any more sons? Do you have anybody else here? Because, um, and Samuel, I mean, and Jesse says, oh yeah, there's, there's young Dave. He's over in the fields. And I picture um, young David, like an 11-year-old kid who's like really scrawny with like a, like a harp and a staff and he just comes running and sprinting and like maybe falls on his way there. Um, but he shows up. And, and Samuel looks at him and thinks, God, surely this can't be it. But then he hears the word from God that this man will be king. This boy will be king. He doesn't look like a king. He's not acting like a king. But that's when this powerful passage in 1 Samuel, and it comes out that God does not look at the outside, but God looks at our heart. God looks at our heart. Sometimes, though, we may not feel, even if God looks at our heart, even if God isn't looking at our resume or looking at our appearances and God is looking at our heart, that our heart is not good enough, that our heart is defective in a way. Maybe we've burned some bridges in our lives and relationships that maybe it's not even worth our mother to love us. I think we should understand Jesus' parable of the 99 sheep in this way. When Jesus is talking about in Luke 15 of the There was a shepherd with 100 sheep, and 99 come safely back, and the one is lost in the brambles. If the shepherd was seeking his own, he would not go and get that sheep, right? He would write it off. It's like, oh, that's a loss. That goes on the taxes, and move on with his life. Um, As well, if you, you know, ever been around sheep, you know, or shepherds, that the reason why that sheep is caught in the brambles is he was going somewhere he shouldn't have gone. He He was not in the right place. A shepherd is not going to take the sheep over and over again to the Brambley area. That sheep was messing with business he shouldn't have been, and he got caught. Another thing the shepherd didn't do is go out there and say, I told you so, you shouldn't have been messing with those brambles. You learn your lesson. The shepherd does not do that. That's not what the kingdom of God is like. Instead, the kingdom of God goes and frees him and takes him home and celebrates celebrates him. Love does not seek its own. To seek one's own is simply self-love, self-fulfillment, selfishness. This is not what God shows us. Love does not seek its own. We understand love. We know love by those experiences of being loved. We all understand love by those times in our life when we're loved. As well, though, we understand it by looking at the life of Jesus Christ. That's what it means in the season of Easter, to understand love by looking at how Jesus lived, what is possible for human love. We see how Jesus treats his disciples. We see how Jesus treats strangers, people who come to hear him speak. We see love lived out. We see a love that does not seek its own. When the disciples are trying to send the children away, Jesus says, let them come to me. When the people are hungry in the fields and the disciples are are like, let's get out of here, Jesus finds the boy with the bread and the fishes and they feed the crowds. And they don't check out the crowds to see who had already eaten before. They're not trying to make sure what's the most efficient way to cover this. They do not seek their own and they show love in that time. 
Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John right before the famous passage of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In John 3, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, comes in the night. And you imagine he's coming in the night so nobody sees him. He doesn't want anybody to witness what's going on. And so he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, a lot of people like you. I assume that he was whispering at this time. Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's me, Nicodemus. A lot of people like you. Why do they like you so much? And Jesus probably like, well, Nicodemus. Like, no, shh, shh. Well, Nicodemus. Um, it's like when you, because God's love, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Does that mean I need to go back inside my mama's belly? It really says that. If you look at John 3, it really says that. In the Greek, it's even weirder. But um, <laughs> Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. You, have, you were once born by water, but now you must be born by water and the Spirit. You must be born by water and the Spirit. It is an event. It is an event to receive God's love. Now, I've never given birth myself. Just going to confess that. Throw that out there. But um, I understand it's, it's a pretty big event in someone's life. It, it changes you. Giving birth to a child changes you. You're not the same as you were before. Adopting a child changes you. Going through the foster process and getting a foster child changes you. But you know what else changes you? Being born. Being born changes you. <laughs> you were, one time you, were, you weren't born and then you are. And there's a different thing going on. There's a different life for you. If God took you to a mountaintop and you had this amazing experience of God, if God took you on a walk to Emmaus or another time or even on a Sunday morning and you had this amazing spiritual experience and you connected with God in a new way and you realized you were totally forgiven, you realized you could have a new life starting now. If that miracle has happened in your life and then that was it and you went back and did nothing changed and nothing was different and nothing was going on, that would not show God's love for you. That would not show that transformation. In the same way, when a mother gives birth to a child, is their job as a mother finished? No, exactly. It's not. If you, if you give birth to a child and then don't do anything else for them ever again, that's not really what being a mother is all about. And the amazing thing is, it's like a mother's love doesn't start the moment of birth. But, but from before, it doesn't end the moments of birth. And again, I want you to think not just of yourself as a mother or mothers in your life, but your mother who brought you into this world. Think of her. Even if she is not with us today, her love is still with us in this time. And her love did not end the moment you were born. And God's love for you did not end the moment you said yes to God. Instead, we are offered the opportunity to continually each day say yes to God. And God is continually with us now, offering us opportunities to show love in this world, reminding us that we don't need to seek our own. So what is it for us, my brothers and sisters, this day? How should we understand to live now? We must remember that love does not seek its own, but the good of the other, and the good of the other is to, for them to be fully themselves. John Wesley, the, the founder of Methodism, talked about Christian perfection a lot, and perfection is kind of a weird word in the modern parlance. Um, it's, not, it's usually like flawlessness, and that's not what Wesley was talking about. It was completion. In the Greek, teleon is to finish, to complete, and that God can complete you, kind of like Jerry Maguire, you complete me. That's what God says to you. You complete me, that, that possibility. But what that really means is that you don't need 
sin in your life to be you. You don't need mistakes in your life. You don't need mean streaks in your life. The who you are is not based on the ways you have turned from God. Who you are is not based on what happened in your past. You can let go of all the not love things in your life, and not because you're so great or so strong, but because God's love is so amazing. And our sin is never greater than God's love. And that is here for you and offered for you this day. We don't have to have self-despair. We don't have to feel sorry for ourselves. We don't need to compare ourselves to others unfavorably. We don't need to compare our children to others unfavorably. God loves you for who you are. Love does not seek its own. You can love others, not because they're fun and interesting, though other people are fun and interesting, but because God already loves you, and there's no limit to God's love. Just like there's no limit to the love that you can give to others in your life. Love in our, we don't have like this small capacity of love that gets extinguished every once in a while, then you have to refill it over and over again because God is in you. And God's love continually refills you. And the more we go to God, the more we go to God in desperation, the more we go to God in prayer and seeking wisdom and guidance and worshiping together and studying scriptures together and praying together and serving together, the more we will continually be filled to offer love in this world. Love not just to the people in our household, the people in our church, but in our community and in our world, in places that are surprising and amazing. You can do amazing things because of God's love for you. You can take a step in a new direction this day because of God's love for you, like an eagle's with a wing spread out over the nest. God is there for you, and God's love did not end the moment you were confirmed in church or the moment you were baptized or the moment you joined. God is still with you, offering you a way to serve in this world. Love does not seek its own. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.